0: Hi, this is mark i'm one of the senior pastors from hope church malmsbury i want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from hope church we we share these messages because they really spoke to us we value their their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them and i pray that they bring a fresh revelation of god's love for you today and if you're able to support the work of hope church and the cost of sharing these messages online then you can go to our website www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're ever in Malmstu on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. It's so good to meet together, to worship together, to be aware of God's holy presence. But for those of you watching online, the same spirit that is here, is present with you as well. You're not missing out. One of the songs we sang today, King of Kings, it kind of tells the story of the birth of the church. And that's one of the jobs of the songs that we sing. You know, we, we worship gods. So it provides a way for us to express the feelings that we have that maybe we wouldn't be able to come up with the words ourselves. But they also serve as a reminder they remind us what it is that we believe. They're a, a form of modern-day creed, you could say. And today we're going to be looking at what it means to be called by God, and I'm thinking in particular about the calling of the apostles. So what I'd like to do as we start is to connect with our brothers and sisters down through history and say together the creed that's called the Apostles' Creed. A statement of what it is and means to be a Christian. So it's going to come up up on the screen. And we're just going to say it together. It's a way that we remind ourselves. And Christians have been doing this for literally thousands of years. It's a way that we remind each other what we believe. So you pop the first bit up on the screen, Jake. There we go. Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 It's good to remind ourselves of what it is that we believe, to be able to call to mind the fundamentals of our theology. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to meet together. We thank you, Lord God, that you are with us. Your Holy Spirit is present. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, I pray that you bring a quickening to our spirits, you open our ears to hear what you are saying, that you speak through my mouth. Lord God, and I pray that we are changed by the encounter that we have with you here today. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad to see that you managed to uh, get here on time this morning. The, I don't know if you knew, but the main road into Malmstreet was blocked. There's a lorry carrying a load of snooker equipment, and it overturned. The queues went on for miles. Oh, Apparently the driver is under arrest. <laughs> yeah, 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 give it a break. So have you noticed, okay, that if you can play two instruments at the same time, like, I don't know, a harmonica and a guitar. People are like, you're a genius, you're like Bob Dylan. But if you just go that one step further, put some cymbals between your knees, suddenly people can't get away quickly enough. It's possible to have too much talent. Some of us are burdens. (laughs) Sorry, Howard, do do you need some oxygen? (laughs) Speaking of talent, there are some uh, opportunities to join the the team. Uh, People who can help with setup. If you like driving a van, uh, please speak to Steve and Michelle. If you're welcoming, if you want to help with stewarding, speak to Debbie and Ian. And if you want to drive the the laptop, the real seat of power in the room, because people say and sing whatever comes up on that screen, (laughs) then uh, speak to me. Or Jake, but do it quickly because he he leaves. He's moving to another country at the end of the month when he gets married. And otherwise, we sing into a black screen. Before we start this morning, I want to tell you a story. It is Christmas 1988, and a child is born. Well, actually, two twin boys. They're born in a remote village in a hospital in Colombia. But one of these little boys is unwell, so he's taken away to the big city hospital in the capital city of Bogota. It's Christmas, 1988, and a child is born. Actually, two twin boys, this time in the hospital in Bogota. They're born about the same time as the sick baby boy arrives from the remote village for his treatment. Now, no one knows exactly what happened, but somehow these three newborn baby boys get mixed up. And when the mother in the Bogota hospital is given her two new babies, she actually gets one of her own babies and the baby that was born in the remote village. And the remaining baby in the Bogota hospital is sent off to the remote village, delivered back to the mother in the hospital there. Two mothers. They have two babies each, but only one is their own, and the other is quite literally the brother from another mother. Now, when you have twins, they can be identical twins or fraternal twins. Fraternal twins are born at the same time, but they look quite differently. So, as the boys grew up and their mothers noticed they didn't look exactly the same, they didn't think anything of it. The boys grew up in their family homes, about 150 miles apart from each other, but actually worlds apart. The boys who grew up in the city of Bogota grew up in a well-to-do family, surrounded by all that a modern city can offer. The boys who grew up in the remote village had no modern amenities at all. They didn't even have a school to go to. The boys who grew up in the farming village were called William and Wilbur. And eventually as they grew, they left the village to go seeking a life for themselves and they moved to the big city of Bogota. And they both got jobs working behind the counter in a butcher's shop. The other twins, George and Carlos, they grew up and they remained in Bogota. And then one day in 2013, the boys They are now about 25 years old. One of George's colleagues from work calls into the butcher shop to buy some sausages on her way home from work. And she's amazed to see what she thinks is George working behind the butcher shop counter. She wonders if George is having some kind of financial crisis that's causing him to moonlight as a butcher at the weekend. Maybe he's as embarrassed to talk about it, which is why he doesn't say hello to her and he doesn't... Talk to her at all. But she whispers to her friend that she's with and she says, That's George. I work with him. And she says, No, that's William. He's my cousin's boyfriend. And she says, No, it's George. No, it's William. And actually, William overhears the conversation from behind the butcher's counter and he says, No, no, I'm William. I'm going out with her cousin. Well, the friend is amazed, and she tracks down a photo of William and takes it to work and shows it to George, who is just astonished. He says, that's me. It's like looking in a mirror. And one thing leads to another, and eventually these four brothers meet for the first time in Bogota, and here they are on the screen, aged about 25 years old. You know, Even though they were separated at birth, the brothers discovered they had an awful lot in common. For example, Wilbur and Carlos suffered from very similar medical conditions as they were growing up. They both dated girls who looked very similar, with similar tastes and similar personalities. They were both very into fashion, liking the same kinds of things, even going to the point of both having their eyebrows waxed, which is what all the cool kids did in Bogota in 2015. (laughs) You know, this amazing true story was uncovered when one of George's friends went looking for some sausages for dinner. And she saw what she thought was her friend behind the counter in the butcher's shop. But he told her, it's not what you think. And that's the title for today's message. It's not what you think. So often, we cannot understand what is really going on in the situation we find ourselves in because we bring with us all of our understanding and experience which we think helps us make sense of what is going on. But so often, what we're going through is not what you think. So today, as we continue our slow walk through the book of Luke and Acts, I want to explore the promises And the purposes of what it means to be an apostle. And I have an inkling the answer is going to be, it's not what you think. So turn with me in your Bibles, open your apps. We're going to Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 12. And it goes like this. In these days he, that would be Jesus, he went out to the mountain to pray And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them twelve who he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who would become a traitor. Twice today, I'm going to mention Dr. Isaac. First of all, I'm going to say, it's Bible quiz question time. The question is, who was the first apostle? Any idea? Who was the first apostle? God, you're thinking, you're thinking, the answer is, of course, found in Hebrews 3 verse 1. Put it on the screen. What does it say? Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus was born and existed before Peter, therefore Jesus was the first apostle. But what is an apostle? Let's take a peek at the Greek. Apostle. It's a word that changed its meaning... Over time, okay, the word apostolos in ancient Greek originally was used to describe a dispatch or a message, usually one that was sent by sea. So the the, the scroll or the important diplomatic message that was being sent to I don't know, try and avert a war, perhaps, that scroll was apostolos. It was sent with authority. And then over time, the meaning began to change. And it was, the word was ascribed to the person who was carrying the message. That person who was sent with authority, with a message, and the authority to make agreements on behalf of the sender. So it makes perfect sense that Jesus was described as the first apostle, the first in time, the first in stature, the first in authority because he was the one sent by God the Father with authority to make an agreement with mankind. And that agreement was the new covenant written in his blood. Started and finished in the Last Supper and upon the cross. So the word apostolos, it changed its meaning over time. A bit like the word um, hoover. Sorry, Dyson friends. Um, but Hoover was originally a, a brand of vacuum cleaner. But the thing, a Hoover machine, yeah, it turned into a verb. You Hoover your house, meaning you want to, you're want you going to vacuum clean it. Or, or Google. Yeah. Google started off as a website. You use it to find things on the internet. But the word has evolved to be more than just a website. It now describes the act of searching for something online. You would say, I Googled for the answers to my homework. I googled for the meaning of apostolos in ancient Greek. So by the time the New Testament was written, the word, the idea of an apostle, it now means someone who has been sent with a message and the authority to do things, to make agreements. It is a job description, if you like. And, And Paul includes apostles within his definition of the, you know, the five pillars of the church. In Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Paul's talking about Jesus. He says, he, Jesus, he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So today I want to take a little look at these apostles. And where should we start? Well, we'll start at the beginning, and we'll answer the question, how do you make an apostle? How do you make an apostle? Make, you might be wondering. Do you make an apostle? Are you appoint an apostle? Well, no, no you make an apostle. If, so if you look at um, the parallel passage in Mark's gospel that, that covers this, this same bit of the story, uh, Mark 3 verse 14, it says, uh, the New King James says, He appointed twelve that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. But actually, we lose a little bit in the translation here because a literal translation would be, then he made 12. Okay? He made 12. He didn't appoint them. He made them. You see, because when you appoint someone, that's an instantaneous act. You're appointed to a a job. You're appointed to an office. You're appointed to a, a rank in the military. And from that second, you are that thing, right? But making... To be made, to, that's, that's a process, not a moment in time. And Jesus, he made apostles. It was a process, and it took time. Just look at Peter. The Peter we meet at the start of the Gospels is not the Peter we meet in the book of Acts. He had become, he'd been made into an apostle by the time we hear him preaching on Pentecost. And this process aspect okay is true all over god's kingdom and in life as well and sometimes we can confuse the instant of being appointed or the instant of being called with the process of god making us into the thing he's making us into being made takes time being made is being on a journey and it requires effort and it can be uncomfortable and it's all too easy to opt out halfway through and give up while we're still partly unmade. And we can do this because we don't realise what God is doing. We think it should be instant. And because it's not instant, we think, well, maybe it's not working. Maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe I'm out of his will and so it's too much like hard work and I'm going to give up. And if you just think about the, the process of the making of the apostles for a second, you know what what God called Jesus to do, what those first apostles saw through the ministry of Jesus, from a human perspective, okay, it would look, as Oswald Chambers says in um my utmost precise, it would look like an unmitigated disaster. It all went wrong. The apostles saw what? They saw Jesus being arrested and tortured and murdered by the very people the Messiah was supposed to come and replace. It looked like a disaster, but God was making something valuable. And today he is making something more valuable in you than the season of pain you might be walking through. He's making something more valuable in you. And then back to the apostles. They, they get this, it all looks like it's gone wrong. And then Jesus comes back to life. Hooray! It wasn't a disaster after all. Jesus is with us. And then Jesus leaves again. Permanently. We're left on our own again. And how does the life of an apostle get described? Well, this is how Paul says it is to live as an apostle. 2 Corinthians 11 he says five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three so just talk about words that change their meaning over time for a second. Paul is saying he had rocks thrown at him. Let's just be clear about what's going on. Three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, and danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from anything else, there is a daily pressure on me for the anxiety for all the churches. living your best life there Paul (laughs) you know the more valuable something is the higher the price you have to pay for it the more valuable something is the more valuable the price you have to pay for it and apostles are made they're not appointed and this principle exists I believe all throughout the kingdom of God whether you're talking about pastors or evangelists or prophets or teachers or Sunday school leaders or sound engineers or worship group leaders or laptop operators or van drivers, chair stackers or welcomers and trustees and elders and preachers, leaders of all kinds and councils every role or ministry or calling you can think of in the kingdom of God. After the calling comes the making The process of learning and growing and changing that turns you into the person that God has called you to be. Jesus called out 12 people from that crowd of disciples that was following him and he made them into apostles. And it took at least three years and probably a bit longer. It always takes time. It always takes time and there is always a price to pay. And the more valuable something is, the higher the price. The greater the calling, the higher the price. But you know what? The price that God asks us to pay is never more than we can afford. And in fact, the price is almost always made up of stuff that we really shouldn't be clinging on to, Anyway, it's the stuff that would get in the way of you being and having all that God has destined for you in the first place. When Jesus called those 12 men and he started to make them into apostles, they had no idea. They had no idea what was going to come next or how long it would take or how much it would cost. But I tell you what, it wasn't what they thought. When God calls you, he declares what and who you are and then turns you into that thing. In the human world, in, in the business world, for example, you don't promote someone until they show themselves able to do the job that you want to give them. Yeah? yeah, they prove themselves capable, then you give them the promotion. You prove yourself, then you get appointed and promoted. But so often in God's kingdom, it's completely bun frack. You get to prove yourself worthy after the calling. Yeah. Yeah. Moses wasn't worthy, Peter wasn't worthy, yet. Yeah? Saul wasn't worthy. Your proving comes afterwards. Jesus, he took fishermen and he made them into apostles. God took Gideon, a scared young man hiding in a pit, and turned him into a mighty warrior. Dr. Isaac reference number two coming up. I'll, I'll quickly summarize the story of Gideon for you, but if you want to dig into it, this time three years ago in August, Dr. Isaac preached a fantastic sermon uh, on Gideon, the un- un- unlikely hero. You can find it on the Hope Church website. But to summarise the story of Gideon, okay, he was not a bold man, was Gideon. Okay, He was beating or he was threshing his wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites who'd been coming around raiding uh, the land where he lived. Now you're supposed to beat wheat versus thresh wheat up on a hilltop so that the breeze carries away the chaff and the valuable grain gets left behind but Gideon he was hiding in a wine press in a, in a pit indoors where grapes get crushed there would be no breeze the chaff would not get blown away okay the wheat threshing was not going to go well Gideon was in the wrong place he was doing his job badly and then an angel appears to him and what does the angel say? Judges 6, the, the, the angel says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour, hiding in a pit, scared of your neighbours. Mighty man of valour. Clearly, Gideon wasn't being very valorious at that moment. He was timid. He was hiding. He was scared. But the angel wasn't he wrong? Because the moment he spoke that message to Gideon, calling him a mighty man of valor, a process was started that made those words come true. God made Gideon into a mighty man. It was a process, and it took time. Not because God is slow, but because Gideon was slow to learn. Isn't that so true? of us all the time. So often we think God is being slow to do something when really we're just being slow to learn yeah. what he's saying to us in the season. So even though Gideon had seen an angel, he still wasn't sure he believed what he was hearing. And so he quite literally laid... A fleece. He laid a fleece of wool on the ground overnight and he said, well, if there's a miracle, if there's dew on the fleece, but the ground around it is dry, that will be a miracle. So it must really be God. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And Gideon was like, yeah, but well, that might be coincidence. So let's do it again, but reverse the conditions. This time we'll have dew on the ground, but if the fleece remains dry... Then I'll believe what God is saying and I'll go to war against the Midianites. So, guess what happens? Another fleecy miracle. And so Gideon gathers together his men. And this time, when God says to him several times, send some of them home, send some more of them home, no, 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 send some more of them home, Gideon obeys. And his army of hundreds of thousands turns into tens of thousands, turns into thousands, then into hundreds. And Gideon obeyed, and God defeated the Midianite army. Gideon was made into a mighty man of valor through this journey that God took him on. The Midianite army was defeated, not not by Gideon's 300 men. Okay, What happens, the Midianites turned on each other and killed themselves in the confusion. All Gideon and his men did was stand in the shadows and make a noise. When God said to Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor, when God said to him, you are strong and you are brave, Gideon turned into those things, not by training with the sword, not by getting good at fighting or tactics of war. Gideon defeated the Midianite army, by relying on God and being obedient. What turned Gideon into a mighty and strong and brave man was not an increase in his muscles, but an increase in his faith. Yeah. Being made into a mighty and strong and brave man who could defeat armies meant learning the lessons of That the might and the power comes from the spirit of God and not from the sword. And that bravery comes not from confidence in your own ability, but confidence in God's ability. It is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. When God makes us into something new, when he makes us into the person that we are called to be... The key thing that happens in that making is the making of our faith. These 12 men were turned into apostles primarily by the development of their faith. Gideon was made into a mighty man of valor because his faith in God grew. And what God is making you into, whatever that is in this season... The primary thing that God is working on you is the growing of your faith. And the truth of it is, our faith does not grow in easy times anywhere near as quickly as it grows in hard times. I spent two, two days this week at the Global Leadership Summit in Chicago. The wonders of modern technology They were on the stage in Chicago. I was in my spare room, in my pajamas, eating donuts. There, in spirit, there were some amazing uh, speakers, and and we're hoping, we're planning, working with uh, Oliver and our friends at Abbey to bring this to Malmesbury in the autumn. But anyway, quick spoiler the last speaker at GLS this year was Albert Tate from Fellowship Church in America. And he said something that resonated so much in my spirit that I want to share with you briefly this morning. But before I do, remember this principle. Our faith grows when or because we have a reason to put it into practice. When we exercise it, it gets stronger and bigger. So if we think about the last year, the last 18 months that we've been living through, okay, it has been... Hard times. Many would even say testing times. And we wonder perhaps, have we passed the test? But this is what Albert Tate said, and I'm sure he is right. He said, this last year of COVID was not a test. This last year of COVID was not a test. It was the lesson. The test comes next. Covid was not a test it was a lesson the last year was the lesson the last year of Covid was a lesson of learning how to grow our faith of learning what is important or makes a church or not of what is important in family what is important in work what is important in society the last year of Covid was a year of learning what we can really trust and who we can really trust the last year was God making us into something new. Growing our faith by giving us opportunities to exercise it. It was the lesson. And next comes the test. And the test is, what will we do with all that we have learned? What will we do with this faith and this freedom? Those men that Jesus called. Those fishermen who became followers, those followers who became disciples, the disciples who were made into apostles. When Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came upon the church, at that point, the apostles didn't sit back and say, phew, what a roller coaster those three years were. I'm looking forward to a rest. How about a bring and share after the synagogue on Saturday? Anybody, anybody want to go fishing? Right? They did not kick back. They took that faith and all that they had learned and all that they had been made into and went and changed the world. Gideon, he ended up being numbered as one of the judges over Israel. He went from hiding in a pit to leading the nation. So when you look back on this last year, It's not what you think. It might look like a test, but I'm convinced it was, in fact, a lesson. And as you look forward to the next season, the new season, the new term, the new year, what will you do with all that you have learned? Who have you become? Who has God been making you into? Something so valuable it takes him A year to do it. This is the purpose for the season we have been in. What the enemy meant for evil, the Lord turns for good like he always does. The devil tries to weaken the church, but all that happens is the tree gets shaken, the dead wood falls off, and what's left is stronger than ever before. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have been making us into over this last year and continuing to work in us in the season to come. Lord God, we don't know maybe what you're calling us to do or to be, but we know you're calling us to do something because you are the builder of your church. You are the the radiance of the glory of God. You are the one that wants to see souls saved, and we have the privilege of being called to come and labour with you. Lord God, as we go from this place, I pray that that call will resonate within inside of us. We will not look with fear upon the test that was, but recognise actually it was a lesson. We would be able to understand what you've been teaching us. And it will equip us and make us ready and stronger and more vibrant and vital for what is yet to come. Because what comes in the latter is greater than the former. Because that's the way of your kingdom. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. All God's people said... Amen and amen. Thank you, church. Our time together is over. Thank you so much for coming. Um, If you're not part of the setup team, please just stand and go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.